We're going to be in the book of Luke today. Luke chapter 2. Uh, we saw it play out right before our eyes. I felt like I was just there. Don't you? Yeah, all the lions and tigers and bears, oh my, and the shepherds and angels. That was just super. And so let's, uh, let's open our Bibles to that same passage, Luke chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible with you, you should see a blue one in the pew back in front of you. We'd encourage you to open that one up with us. Uh, the Word of God opens our eyes. Uh, the Word of God grows our faith. Uh, so we'd love for you to open that up with us. The book of Luke is uh, towards the back of the Bible. It's in the New Testament. Um, it is a gospel of Jesus. It is a, the, the true story about Jesus coming to earth to save sinners. It is the good news of Jesus. Luke chapter 2. A uh, very familiar passage during this time of the year. Um, Okay, very, very fitting. Uh, God has blessed me with a very good sermon illustration for Christmas because we are having a little boy. Uh, so that's, that's, he's already contributing to my ministry by just being there, giving me a good sermon illustration for the birth of Jesus. On, uh, this week, um, we got to see our baby boy for the first time. We got to see, we did a 4D sonogram. Are you familiar with these? Where it's not just, it's, you, you see his face. I mean, you can know, you can know he, he's not a blob anymore, right? The person is not a blob anymore. He's a, he can see he's a baby. You see his nose, his eyes, and his mouth. And, uh, so we got to see him in all his little chunky glory in there. Hodges, Hodges we, have, we have big babies. The Hodges have big babies. That's a, that's a chunky little guy. Uh, it, was really, it, it was hard to see him. Um, she had to kept, keep maneuvering him and poking him because he has his feet all up by his face. And I, I don't know how he does that, but we, we got some good pictures there. And, and we saw what he looks like. He's a chunk already, and we've got almost two more months to go. So this is, we're going to break some record, I think, with this one. Uh, we're excited about that. Uh-oh. Daddy's excited about that. Mommy might not be as excited. <clears throat> but uh, oh, she'll get over it, right? She'll get over it. Okay, so this is my... Oh, I'm getting some bad looks out there. I might, be, I might be in trouble. Okay, it's a season of forgiveness. Christmas is a season of forgiveness. Um, I look at that baby boy, and now I kind of know what to expect. This is my third baby, um, the third infant, and I kind of know what's coming. I look at him, and I know, in that little picture, I know that he is going to be a weak little blob of a person. I know he won't even be able to lift his head. I know that's coming. I expect that. I look at him and I know all the disgusting things that will be coming out of this cute little baby boy. I know that. I know what to expect. I look at him and I see all the sleepless nights we are about to enjoy. I look at him and I kind of know what to expect. For my little baby boy... What you see is what you get. But today, we're celebrating a little baby boy who is not what you see is what you get. We're talking about a little baby boy who in many ways will be like my baby boy, but in the most important ways that we can imagine, he is completely different. If we put my little baby boy's picture up and we put the infant Jesus' picture up, you might not see a difference there. But, 
What you get with Jesus is not what you see. Because what you see with Jesus might be a little baby, but what we get from that little baby is the most surprising, life-changing, universe-moving, peace-bringing force the world has ever seen. When we look at the baby Jesus, what we see is not what we get. Now, we've heard it once today, but we're going to read it again together. Let's read the story about this little baby boy. So this is Luke chapter 2. That's big number 2. We're going to read together through little number 21. Big number 2, chapter 2, little, little number 21. It goes like this. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph, Jesus' father, and Joseph went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he, Joseph, was of the house and lineage of King David. That's a big deal to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in the manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly, there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts, of angels praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace among those with whom He is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby laying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them coming concerning this child. And all who heard it, was, it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying God and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it has been told to them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Okay. Christmas story. Very familiar to us, perhaps. But what we are going to look at, we're going to look at three ways in which that little baby Jesus is not what we expect. We're going to look at three ways that we look at Jesus and see one thing, but in reality, He is something else. 
The first thing that we notice in the book of Luke, in Luke chapter 2, about this miraculous baby that has been born. This baby, if you were to peer in that manger, this baby looks weak, but moves heaven and earth. A human baby is the epitome of physical weakness. All they can do is eat, sleep, scream, wiggle, pee, and poop. That's it. That's all they could do. So if you were to peer into that manger, you'd see a cute, helpless, totally helpless baby boy. However, but you would be wrong. You would be wrong to take his physical weakness as the truth. He might not be able to lift his head, but he has moved heaven and earth. All people move for Jesus. You see, God promised hundreds of years before Jesus was born that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. He promised this and the prophet Malachi promised this. And Bethlehem is important because it is the city of King David and God promised that Jesus would be born into the royal kingly line of King David. All these things are lining up. Jesus needs to be born in Bethlehem and He will be in the line, the family of David. But here's the problem. Mary and Joseph weren't in Bethlehem. They were pregnant and nowhere near Bethlehem. Jesus was coming and they weren't in the town. So God could have, God could have picked somebody else in Bethlehem to be in the line of David for the Savior to be born into. Jesus could have, been mar- could have been born into a family that lived in Bethlehem that was in the line of David. Do you ever think about that? Why didn't he? Do- Wouldn't that be easier? Instead, instead of having Jesus be born to a family in Bethlehem, instead... God has decided to show the world who this baby is. And instead of taking what we believe to be the easy way, God chose to get Mary, Joseph, and Jesus into Bethlehem by moving the entire world. The Roman world stretched from Europe to Africa to the Middle East and God laid it on the heart of the emperor of Rome to count the people over whom he is reigning so that he could tax them. God put this thought, this desire on his heart. And unbeknownst to him and unbeknownst to the millions of people under his decree, God did this, he chose to do this at this time for one reason, to move the entire world so that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. We are a mere footnote in Jesus' story. All of us, all of us are not the main character of our own stories. 
Jesus, this little baby who can't raise his head, who is helpless in that manger, has moved the entire Roman world. But not only that, the whole of mankind moves for Jesus. The whole of nature moves for Jesus. We know part of the story is that star right there. Matthew tells us that they were wise men who were searching for this Savior, this Messiah, who were looking for Him. And they say this, Where is He, the Messiah, who has been born King of the Jews? For we saw His star when it rose, and we have come to worship Him. His star? That little baby owns a star? In the declaration of the birth of Jesus, a huge astronomical body so large that we can't even comprehend how big it is, this huge star was screwed into place over Bethlehem like a man screws in a light bulb. The heavens themselves declare the glory of the Lord, says the psalmist. That little baby moves mankind. That little baby moves all of nature. It's all for Him. It's all for Him. The whole of nature is His. That little helpless baby moves stars in the sky. That little baby who can't raise his head moves mankind, moves all of nature. That little baby moves all of heaven itself. We see the angels coming to the shepherds. An angel declares the good news to the shepherds. And almost as if they can't help themselves, a multitude of angels amazed at the mercy and grace of God. These angels long to see what is going on. It's almost like they can't help it. They come to the angels and they start singing the praises of God. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those whom He is pleased the mere fact that that baby was born has set ablaze the angels of heaven. Scripture tells us that this, this baby in the manger, this person Jesus, this God in flesh Jesus has come to save sinners and they are so amazed by this mercy and grace that, that we hear that, that they just long to peer and see what is happening. Think about, think about why. Think about the angels and their existence. They haven't experienced mercy. They haven't experienced the mercy of God. They haven't needed to. What have the angels in heaven experienced? They've experienced God's judgment, God's justice. When... When Satan and his angels rebel against God, what did they experience? They experienced the good and righteous justice of God in, in, in running those rebels out of heaven. That's what they've experienced. And so think 
How about what those angels are saying for the first time? God's mercy and grace personified in that little manger. Glory to God in the highest. This physically weak baby who can't lift his own head lifts and moves the whole wide world. And the baby who can't walk walks the very stars in the sky. The child who can't yet talk awakens awestruck singing from the angels in heaven. And He does this by His very presence. The mere fact that He is there wrecks the status quo of all creation. Nothing will ever be the same. When we look, we might see a weak baby, but Jesus is not what He seems. That weak baby moves everything. Second thing that we see, when we look, when we look and see Jesus in the manger, what we see, what we look, looks dirty. But what looks dirty is clean, and what looks clean is dirty. So Jesus was born in a manger, a feeding trough. He was born probably surrounded by animals, probably in a cave reserved for these animals. The air would have smelled of beast and dung and feed. He was born in a space we would consider too lowly for a person to live in, much less be born in. And I'm a bit of a germaphobe. My little boy is not going to be born in a manger. Who knows, what, who knows what kind of disease he'll catch? I don't know. I don't know. And we make much of that fact. The, the King of Kings... Lord of lords, God in flesh is not born in a palace. He's born in a manger. We say this often in church. We we say rightly that this emphasizes His humility, His willingness to step out of heaven and into a place that we see so lowly. It emphasizes that He has came for the poor and the weak, not the rich. That we should make ourselves poor in spirit for this King who came in such a lowly way. We know that kings, especially the king of kings who moves the heaven and the earth, should be born and live in a palace. And all this is true. And that is what we have heard so often. But the biggest scandal of Christmas is not that Jesus was born in dirt, near dung, near animals. The scandal is that Jesus was born among sinners. That's the scandal. What's truly dirty in that moment isn't what's on the floor of the cave. It's what's in the hearts of Mary and Joseph. That's what's truly filthy. The scandal has nothing to do with germs or dirt. The scandal has everything to do with the disease of the human heart locked in disobedience to God. That's the scandal. Dirt, dung, straw, cattle, sheep, donkeys. These things have never disobeyed God. 
All they have done is exactly what God has told them to do since creation. What's truly dirty, what Jesus truly stepped into is the disobedience to the Most High God that is in the human heart. So in the most meaningful way, for Jesus to be born in a palace would have not been any cleaner. Jesus, King of kings, giver of life and breath and joy, is cursed and rejected and rebelled against And he allows himself to be born into a sinful family by a a sinful mother and be held by sinful people and to grow up and die for sinners. That is the scandal. That is scandalous. We see in chapter 2 that this baby Jesus was born into the line of King David. We see who that line entails in in Matthew's account of Jesus' birth. Let me just give you a snapshot of this family that Jesus is born into. Matthew tells us that Judah is in Jesus' family. Judah, you might remember, sells his own brother into slavery. Jesus is born into a family with Rahab as an ancestor. Rahab, you might remember, is a prostitute. Jesus is born into a line that includes Ahaz, king who sacrificed his own son, burned him alive as a human sacrifice to a false god. Being born into the family of King David in the city of King David. A King David who is an adulterer and a murderer. That's the scandal. That's the scandal. Born into a family of sinners. Born to sinners. I know we love Mary and Joseph, but Mary and Joseph were just like us. They were sinners. Just like us. Romans 3, 10-18 says it this way, there is no one righteous, no, not one, There's no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They all together have become worthless. No one who, there is no one who does good. Not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. And the way of peace they do not know. And there is no fear of God before their eyes. The scandal isn't the dirt. The scandal isn't the donkeys. The scandal is the sin. The King of Kings. And more than this, be born into this family, be born with sinful parents. Even more than this, that baby boy, the scandal is he was born to die for sinners. He was born to die for sinners. This is how 2 Corinthians says it. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says it this way, For our sake, God the Father made Him, Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin, 
So that in Him, Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. That is the scandal. The scandal is that in Jesus' grace and mercy, in the mercy and grace of God the Father, Jesus was born to sinners, in a family of sinners, around sinners, to save sinners by taking on our sin. God the Father made Him take on our sin willingly so that we might become the righteousness of God. The Father sent the Son who willingly became dirty so that we might become clean. That's the scandal. Think about the mercy and grace of God. The scandal of Jesus being around sin, being near sin, being in a family of sinners, saving a sinner like me. Think of that scandal. Romans 5.8 says it this way, for rarely, rarely will anyone die for a righteous man. Maybe if you know somebody who's really, really, really good dude, you might consider dying for somebody who's really, really good. Somebody who's working on the cure for cancer. He's really close. You might die for him. Though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. Maybe for a good person, the best person you know in your life that is doing incredible things for humanity, you might consider dying for a good man. But God proves His love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How amazing is that? You might, die, you might consider dying for a good man, but in God's love for us, Christ died for sinners. You know why that's great news? It's great news for so many reasons. Here's one of them. You don't have to get yourself right before Jesus will save you. While you were a sinner, Christ died for you. He didn't die for you when you became a good person. He died for you when you are a dirty, stinking sinner just like me. That shows how much He loves you. That's scandalous. And finally, what looks weak turns out to move the world. What looks dirty turns out to be clean and the dirtiness is in our heart. And finally, what looks like peace is really war. We see and hear and read the name Caesar Augustus. Caesar Augustus is the emperor of the whole known world at this time for Jesus and his family. For the readers of Luke, when Luke first wrote this, they, they knew Caesar Augustus as the emperor of the whole wide world. Caesar Augustus was celebrated for one thing primarily. He was celebrated, cherished, acclaimed, and known for ushering in an era of peace that the world rarely sees. He brought peace to the world. He is the peace bringer. But what looks like peace only masks the truth that every person has declared war on God and God is at war with sin. So how far can that peace really go when I have a sinful heart? 
God is so good. He's so just and He is so righteous. And He is for the oppressed. And He is for the afflicted. And He is for the hurt. That He is at war with sin. And He has promised to defeat sin. The problem is that I keep sinning. So if He's at war with sin, He's at war with me. Proverbs 6 says it this way, Six things the Lord hates, yes, seven are an abomination to Him. A proud look. You ever been proud? God hates that. A lying tongue. Have you ever lied? And parents, have you had to teach your children to lie? Or is this something that's in us? My beautiful gals, I didn't have to teach them how to lie. You ever lie? God hates that. Hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked plans. Feet that are swift in running to evil. A false witness who speaks lies. And here's one for church. And one who sows discord among the brethren. God hates that. Who among us can read this list and say we haven't done something that God hates? Many days I get four out of the seven before breakfast. Well, come on, preacher. Isn't God just a God of love? He doesn't really hate. He doesn't really hate, does He? Romans 1.18 says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. The wrath of God... God's justice against sin is being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. So what hope can we possibly have in this war against God? Against the one who moves the world at a whim, who drags a star across the sky and commands legions of angels. How can we possibly have hope in this? What, what fear should we be feeling in our sinfulness? And then... On Christmas morning, fear not, says the angel. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace among those with whom He is pleased. Luke writes this knowing that we will think of Caesar as the peace bringer. And he says, false! The real peace is brought by the person of Jesus Christ in that manger. The real peace that we need. We like to sing this and see it in, on commercials and say peace and think that that's just a peace between us. And does Jesus come to bring peace between us? Sure. We, we read that, we might think, well, peace in all my worries. Jesus has come to take, has He come to take your worries? Sure He has. But what peace has Jesus come primarily to bring us? Peace with God. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 6.23 Glory to God in the highest and peace upon whom He has found favor. How do we have peace with God? Jesus came 
And he was born in a dirty manger among dirty sinners like me. Jesus came and he is the peace offering to humanity. In God's mercy and his grace, he has offered peace through the willing sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. That baby will grow and live a perfect life among sinners. He will never sin. And he will offer to give us credit for his righteousness. He will say, I will stand in their place. And in the courtroom of the Most High God, Jesus says, I will stand in their place and I will credit them my righteousness. And he says, I will take on their sin and their punishment. And Jesus did when he crawled up on that cross and he willingly, he willingly did it. Nobody forced him to do it. This is the guy who drags a star across the sky. This is the guy who moves the whole world. This is the guy who commands a legion of angels. You think he didn't want to do this? He willingly died on the cross to be this peace offering. And as he died on the cross, he took the punishment for the sin of all who come to him. He took the punishment for all who repent and believe that Jesus is the Son of God, the peace offering of the Most High God. And Jesus died, and he couldn't stay dead. The guy drags a star across the side. He can't stay dead. Death can't hold him. Jesus rose three days later for all of us to see and say, wow, this guy can do it. My baby's going to die. He's going to go to heaven. He can't save you. He can't save me. He's not coming back to life. Jesus did, and he's the only one. And he says, I can take your sins. I can conquer death for you. Take the peace offering of the Most High God. We are saved by grace, free gift of grace. That baby is a free gift of grace through faith. You don't, you, you don't be good enough. You don't earn it. You can't earn it. This disease of sin that we have will take us all the way to the end. You can't be good enough. I can't preach enough good sermons. You can't raise your kids in the right enough way to make God say, wow, okay, you were good enough. You're, you, that, that war that we started to go, well, gosh, you've sure earned it. That doesn't happen. We are saved by grace through faith. What is faith? I heard this this week. I thought it was great. Faith is this. Knowledge about God Knowledge about God, where are you going to get that? You're not going to get that sitting at home thinking real hard about what you think God might be. Get that right here. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Faith is knowledge of God plus agreement to God. Saying, God, I see what you say. I agree. God, you say Jesus could save me from my sins. I, I agree. I believe it. Knowledge of God plus agreement with God plus embracing of God. You don't just know about God and agree with it and say, God, you stay way over there. You know about God. You agree with God. And we run to God. And we embrace God. We find this loving relationship of this God that we have declared war on through our sin. And yet, He has come and said, I will give up my one and only Son to the cross so that you can become one of my sons and daughters. Christmas is not always what it seems. When we look, we might see a little wiggly, crying, weak baby, but the truth is far greater. That baby moves the world. Has He moved your heart? 
as He moved your heart. That baby might look dirty, but do you realize that the true dirtiness is in our hearts? Have you been cleaned by Jesus? That little baby might bring sleepless, restless nights, but He has promised to bring peace with God. Do you have peace with God? Do you know God? If not, we'll see you next week. Knowing God takes time. Knowing God takes opening this book. Knowing God takes the work of the Holy Spirit. Come, be back next week. Do you agree with God? Ask yourself, what in this book does not set well on my heart? And then realize that the problem is in our hearts. The problem isn't right here. Do you agree with God? And then do you embrace God? Do you have a relationship with the Creator of the universe? He longs to be near you. Do you love Him? I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. We're going to stand together in a moment. And this is going to be our time of decision. We want to offer a time to respond to the Word of God. Who is that little baby in the manger for you? Is his birth just an opportunity to have some time off, to be with family? Is his birth just an opportunity to get presents or give presents? Is his birth just an opportunity to feel good about who you are? Or is, is it, have you taken the opportunity of his birth to make yourself right with God? That's why he came. That's why he came. Believers, maybe, maybe you're hearing your believer. How do we celebrate Christmas? Do we celebrate Christmas for the momentous occasion that it is? Are we teaching our kids what Christmas is all about? Are we teaching our kids that it's not just about presents, but it's about Jesus bringing peace with God for us? During this time, we're going to ask you, Christians, during this time, celebrate in your heart and with your voices the sacrifice that Jesus has made for us and the momentous occasion that Christmas is. Second, if you're here today, you're not a believer. Don't, don't play games with God. You know, say, say, what, say what it is. If you're still at war with God, we've all been there. We've all been there. But take this opportunity to accept the peace offering that is the person of Jesus Christ. Know God, agree with God, embrace God.